Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, Cindy gets to do all the podcasts now because Stacy is stuck at one theater and doesn't know many people anymore. But I do. So <laughs> this week, not even we are talking. Yeah, you're not even at a theater. You're useless to me right now. This week, we're talking to Christy Ross Clausen, who I met through the Stage Managers Association. She is one of our directors at large. So I get to have monthly meetings with her and and we exchange emails regularly. Uh, Christy, obviously, is a stage manager because that's how I met her. But what I also love about her is that she's also an IOTSI member and so works kind of doing some of the things that Stacy does. And so I was like, well, this is a perfect combination. We'll bring her on to talk about all of the above. So welcome to our podcast, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. To start, it's going to be a two-part question. Usually we ask, how did you get into theater? Did you start as a stage manager or did you start like with your path kind of leading towards uh, working backstage in IOTSI. So those are our two two questions to start with. Like many, I started as a performer. And Ooh. my goal when I went to college was I was going to be a singer and I wanted to be on Broadway and I wanted to work in recording studios singing backup. Oh, wow. Go on tour and be like one of the three girls behind Barry Manilow singing all those great harmonies. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got to college and learned more about the business end of the industry and that that was not a real realistic thing unless I wanted to move to Chicago or Nashville. And having grown up in a very tiny town in northern Wisconsin, Appleton, where I live now and where I went to college, uh, that was about the right size. So I've stayed here <laughs> and I didn't work in theater for a long time. I took that music degree and I taught music K-12 for um, about 15 years. That's and so cool. In the middle of all of that, I started to get involved with the IATSE. So my husband is an IA member also. He's currently the president of our IA local, but we were apprentice members together. And my IA local does a formal apprenticeship where you come in and for two years, they run you through some training things. You get a chance to observe whatever you want to observe on any of the shows that we're doing. Uh, you get a chance to talk to local suppliers and companies and venues. So you, you get a chance to learn the business by being present, watching and asking good questions. So I did that after I graduated from college. I, I went to Lawrence University, which has a conservatory of music, because again, I wanted to be a performer. So let's go to the conservatory and be a performer. And about midway through that, um, decided to do a Bachelor of Arts degree rather than a Bachelor of Music degree, because I could do other things like theater, along with being a musician. Um, <laughs> yeah, I took my vocal performance emphasis and turned it into what Lawrence called interdisciplinary areas in computer science, which has served me well. Wow. And one in education, which then helped when I went back to UW Oshkosh to get my education certification. So I I've, I've came through this in the most eclectic, tangential, <laughs> unintentional so manner you could ever imagine. 
<laughs> but um, you're so well-rounded now. I kind of love it. So like stage management fits perfectly in all of this. Yeah. And, and well, that's the thing. Had I known what stage management was when I was an undergrad, I probably would have naturally gone toward it because it is the eclectic get to do a bit of everything. It's a servant mm-hmm. leader position. Yes, you've got the title manager, but you don't get to order anybody around because it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> you could try, but... <laughs> Stage management's actually the, well, the second to last thing I've added on to my resume. And that started about, oh gosh, about 15 years ago when I went back to college. So let me shrink up about 30 years of my life. Um, I graduated from Lawrence. I got my teaching certification. I was working in the bank while I did that. Um, Then I became a teacher. And while I was teaching, of course, to go higher on the salary matrix, you have to take master's courses. Uh-huh. Uh, in Wisconsin at the time, you had to have six credits every five years in order to maintain your license. Cool. Just keeping current with the, the trends. That's a great thing. Uh, so I started my master's program when I was very pregnant in 1994, and I finally finished it in 2010. And there was a, a break of about five years in there where I didn't take any master's classes because I was not teaching. I was working full-time as a stagehand. So when I went back to get my master's, uh, Manon Vandewater at UW-Madison said, well, Christy, you've already taken all the classes, but because you had this break, you have to take 16 credits. What do you want to learn? And I said, well, when I'm working as an IA spotlight operator, I hear these stage managers over the headset calling the show. I want to learn more about that. And she walked me downstairs to David Stewart's office, who, you know, through USITT and through being involved with the SMA, uh, and said, David, I've got this woman here who wants to learn about stage management and literally changed my life in a day. So David and, and I started like talking. literally like the very last the very yeah. like last class that you needed to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was that was the fun of it because six credit class of that 16 was to stage manage the TYA show that year, which was this delightful show called Falling Girls. So all of the people that I've worked with on that show, and indeed all of the people that I worked with in grad school, I've kept in contact with, and we continue to work either by advising people or cheering people on or saying, hey, I've got a solution to that problem that you have. So yeah, the formal stage management training was the very end of it all. (laughs) And I, because of how my schedule was, um, I didn't really have the class. I didn't really take the class, but I would go and sit in when I had time. And David was very magnanimous about that. So I learned to be a stage manager by listening to Broadway touring stage managers call Broadway shows. And so I learned from some of the best. That is awesome. That's really cool. This is probably like, yeah, the, the most eclectic way to come around it, but it kind of like <laughs> fell into your lap, which is pretty awesome. Well, and one of the great things about the Stage Managers Association is we have operation observation where people will put mm. on the, the webpage, hey, you can come to Chicago or come to Milwaukee and watch me as I call the show. So I continue to do that and I learn great things. And sometimes I'm able to hear somebody call a show or they'll have a question about something technical or automation wise, because my husband has done a lot with automation. He toured with that for several years um, so that we can can share those resources and that knowledge amongst our peers. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that in live entertainment, no two days are ever the same. Even if you're doing the same show, eight shows a week, no two are ever identical. So true. And we keep learning. So 
I finally got, you know, I, I've got my master's degree. Um, my husband retired. I put that in quotes, air quotes. You can't see that on the podcast, but I just made air quotes with my hands. Um, <laughs> my husband came home. He had done the 25th anniversary tour of Les Mis and was just burned out. And he said, that's it. I'm done touring. I'm, I'm finished. I'm going to stay home. I'm like, great. It's my turn. The kid's <laughs> made enough. He needs dad more than he needs mom. I'm going out on the road. And Ryan says, nobody's going to hire you. You're a middle-aged woman. You've got no touring experience. And within three days, I had two offers. And I spent the next two and a half years out on tour. Three different shows. Yes, that's awesome. (laughs) But not as a stage manager. I went out as a spotlight, a front of house electrician. So it has been this, this crazy combobulation of things that have happened. And then when I came back from that, um, I'd gotten hurt. And the physical therapist on that last tour, and bless the physical therapists who are out there on the road, she said, um, you can go home and stay off your foot and you'll probably be okay. Or you stay out here, you're going to probably limp for the rest of your life. So I went home and uh, got a job in marketing for a friend who's got a rigging company, learned a ton more about rigging that way, and then uh, got a teaching job. was the production stage manager at UW-Madison, uh, left that to go back to teaching K-12, figuring, okay, finally, I, you know, my son has grown, he's in college, life is grand, I'm going to go back and teach high school, technical theater, the thing I've always wanted to do. And I had a great year and then got recruited by another school, which had been my dream job for 25 years, and it was horrible. I couldn't wait to get out of there. Mm. So the only time in my life I've ever broken a contract, mutual agreement, I said, you don't like me, I don't like you, let's part ways while we can still speak politely to one another. And (laughs) graciously, they did. Um, So then I applied just on a whim for a job as an install tech at an AV company. All right, you think an AV that has nothing to do with theater. And I was like, well, okay, the audio video stuff we do in theater, that's kind of what they do in AV installs. Why not? I'll, I'll talk to these guys. Yeah. Uh, so we've been there for the last two and a half years. And all of the things that I learned working in live theater, all of the things on stage management are things that I use on a daily basis in the job that I have now. So I think I'm probably going to stick with this until I retire in a, a decade or so. Um, but I get to use all of those skills. And because it's a regular normal, again, air quotes, normal job that works nine to five ish. um, I have my nights and weekends free. So I still work as an IA stagehand for shows that come through. Um, I still work in all the different departments and I still occasionally get to stage manage. I'm an equity stage manager. So my options are a bit limited. There isn't an equity theater in Appleton. So I'll go to Milwaukee or up in Door County or down to Madison and help out the theaters there when they need somebody for a one day fill in. Or we have a a company here in Oshkosh that's starting to get going that did one show under an equity contract. So we're we're hoping to turn that into a full-time thing for them, but it would still be part-time for me. So that's the the 30-year career in a nutshell. Feel like I have not done anything. <laughs> I've had like three jobs and they're all in technical theater. How boring. <laughs> Here's the thing my, my very first day on an IA gig, it was the Miss Wisconsin pageant in 1985. So Miss Wisconsin used to be broadcast regionally. It would have people from Milwaukee coming up. And Pappy Alderson, who was one of the founders of our IA local, pulled me aside at the end of the day. He's like, you, you've got some potential here. And I'm like, oh, great. Okay. Here's this old dude talking to me about potential. Fine. You just want to flirt with the young girl, whatever. <laughs> you've got potential. Yeah. I can see you've got a brain there. Like, oh, good. All right. I got a Mensa card in my back pocket too. That's not going to buy me anything. Yeah. Um, thanks. <laughs> but, yeah. but he went on to say, 
don't let somebody hold you back or tell you that you're lesser because you're a woman. We're a union. So if you need help, ask. Boys need help lifting heavy things too. Okay. Um, you're smart. So bring something with you to keep your brain occupied because there's a lot of hurry up and wait in this business. So when he pulls this dime novel out of his back pocket, one of those great Western stories, mm-hmm. goes, well, I always have something to do so I don't get into trouble. Okay. Fabulous. And the third piece of advice was learn to do it all because you don't want to be like those girls who only do one thing. The more things you can do, the more work you can say yes to and the less boring jobs you need to take. And I went, okay, I guess I'll learn to do it all. So I I have. And sometimes I've said yes to jobs I probably shouldn't have said yes to. And I've learned along the way. Fortunately, I've built up a great network of people that I can pick up the phone and call and go, all right, how do I do this? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And and that's been a tremendous asset. If somebody asks me now what they need to do, I say, build a network, meet people who are smarter than you, hang Mm -hmm. out with them, you know, go and observe, ask polite questions, take notes, review your notes, uh, do the online classes that you can take. Good heavens, everything in the world is available for free right now. Right? Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking I'm a little bit overwhelmed with all the options right now. I was like, I might need to take a Zoom break because there's so many webinars <laughs> and there's so many things. And all of it is so exciting, but there's just, there's a lot out there right now. And and the quality is so good. I was on yes. one day, um, a new company out in Vegas, and it was like the big names of the rigging world were on it. I'm like, holy heavens, Eric, you've got, you know, this person and this person on your webinar learning from you but it's more we're all sharing the information Uh it's not this is the oracle that you go and seek when you want knowledge about this it's there's these 40 people and they might not all have the same opinion of what they want to do or this is the best way to do it and depending upon what your circumstances are any one of those 40 could be a great way to solve the problem Uh because there's never just one answer like there's not just like well a plus b equals c it's like yeah you could get to see multiple different ways this one might be the most direct but it might not work for this current situation right right how was it how was it especially like well no wait let me think about this i want to ask how was it to work in iotsi house back in the 80s and have you seen a difference in the way that women are treated or even more female IATSE crew since then? I've been spoiled because my IA local has always been about 50-50 male and women. Are you serious? I've never seen that. That's really cool. What happened back when our local was founded back in the early 1970s, the wife of one of the founding guys was being considered for membership. And um, the discussion was happening. It was late at night and they're arguing back and forth. You know, a, a woman shouldn't have to work in the industry. A woman shouldn't have to do this. Um, and the woman of the house that they were having this argument in the living room came downstairs and said, can she do the job? And all the guys went, well, yeah, of course, you know, obviously she's worked with all of us for all these years. Um, so Mrs. Alderson said, well then vote her in and go home. It's late. And I want to go to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, why is it a and discussion what, what sex she is? If she can do the job, she can do the job. Right. And there's this thing that I call the Wisconsin attitude, which is if you're visiting a dairy farm in Wisconsin and it's milking time, you put on a pair of boots that somebody's got sitting around and you go out and you help muck out the barn. You help take care of the cows and you do the work because the faster the work can be done by a team, the faster you can go and enjoy dinner or have a beer or whatever. So that attitude also played through to the stagehands local. 
I don't care what you are. I don't care where you go to church. I don't care what your background is, what color your skin is. If you can do the work, please come help us do the work. And then we can all go home and enjoy a beer. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Cause it's not, it's not discriminated in field work usually or farming and stuff. So right. yeah, that's interesting. Cause well, we're not from the Midwest, but you know, we grew up with the mentality that it would be more segregated, I guess, out there than where we are. But it's so cool to see that it's just the opposite and that like, you know, how we are raised in California and told about the Midwest is is 100% not accurate in that sense. <laughs> so and, and that's one of the great parts about going out on tour is you get to learn about those cultural differences. Mm. So did you just think that's how it all was everywhere. Yeah. Well, I, I just assumed that, you know, there's going to be women in all the IA locals and they're going to be just as competent and just as prevalent as the men. And they're going to have mm-hmm. the same kind of seniority. And mm-hmm. that's very definitely not the case. It's rapidly changing in part because the new, new, he's been there for a decade. Uh, president Loeb, who's the IA president has said there is no IA without the women of the IA and women are welcome in all jobs of the IA. So when the union attitude supports you doing your job no matter what that helps mm-hmm. i was in uh i was in a city down south i'm not going to name it because i'm going to forgive them <laughs> but uh, <laughs> my head carpenter on that tour was a, a very competent black man and i of course was the only woman on the entire deck in the middle of loadout and uh, mm-hmm. there were insults thrown at my head carpenter and me with about an hour before the loadout finished and i went okay, the faster you help me get this done, the faster I will leave your fair city and never come back. And in the wonderful irony that is my life, I've befriended the president of that IA local, told him the story. And he said, yeah, we've had problems with that and was able to give him some information from one of the other IA locals on how to deal with sexual harassment in the workplace and what is and what's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. A lot of the guys that I work with, because I've been an IA member here for so long, they're they're my brothers. They're my extended family. So I walk into the workplace and there's hugs and you give somebody a kiss on the cheek. And, and that's a very wonderful and lovely thing. And then you walk into some places and it's, oh, there's a girl. Oh, right. A girl on my crew. Oh, okay, this girl has a master's degree and a clue. What more could you ask for? pocket. <laughs> 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 And yeah, in her pocket. That's what Stacy deals with all the time. Is I feel like every time I go to a new company or a new theater or a new group of people, I have to prove that I know how to use a tool. Yes. And that I can understand their language and that I can solve the problems. Because it's like, uh-huh. dude, I've been at TD for years, and the back of my car is full of tools. How many times that I know how to use to prove myself? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So it's always you, great when a guy's like, oh, great, here, do this. And I'm like, oh, I don't I don't need to, like, prove that I know how to do this. He's like, well, you're here, right? Do it. It's like, oh, thank God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there are times um, there are times I'll walk in and I will on purpose wear a polo shirt from the IA Local One because mm. there's something about the single digit locals that gets a little more respect. Mm-hmm. And people just assume that you belong to the local of whatever number you're wearing that day. And having been on tour, I, I've got shirts from all over the place. So <laughs> if I know that I'm going into a contentious or potentially contentious situation, I will intentionally wear a black IA local one polo and come in with my tool belt on and everything ready to go. Um, because that way I'm presenting myself as somebody who knows what the heck they're doing. 
a little yeah. subconscious boy. It but is. It, I always go back and forth on that. I was just going to say it. Like, part of me was like, yeah, that's so smart. And part of me is like, it's such bullshit that we have to do that. Yes, it is, but it works. But it works. It and works. I do the same thing when I walk in as a stage manager. Like, there's a crew in Binghamton who, again, like, you would think being, you know, upstate New York that there'd be issues with it. But there's women on that crew. And I've never gotten more respect on a crew than I have there. And it's wonderful, but I probably the first few times I walked in and I do this everywhere. Like I wear, you know, a little bit looser shirt. That's, you know, just like a regular shirt or, and jeans or whatever. And even when I walk in as a director of production and I look nice, it's always a, a little bit more masculine than I would in a, in an orchestra rehearsal or, you know, my hair's in a ponytail and I have no makeup, you know, like something that is, is more masculine or whatever, because I don't want them just to push me around or, you know, or to treat me like a woman. And like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, which means I almost always get comments on opening night, like, Oh, you're wearing a dress. And I was like, yeah, I do that too. I just don't do that the first time I meet you. Yeah. Most just... people don't recognize me when I dress up because they're like, Whoa, your hair's down and you're not wearing jeans and a t-shirt and you're not all painted up. It's like, yeah. They live in my closet most of the time, but yeah, it happens. I do do that. So what was it like? Kind of the opposite of what Stacey and I, well, not experience, but like, how was it to learn that not all IATSE houses were like that? Was it kind of a, not brutal, but you know, was it kind of like a shock to the system that not all IATSE houses had as many females in it? It was. Or were you like kind of warned about it in advance? I, I knew that, like, I knew that there were certain locals that didn't have women or had instances where women had sued an IA local or a couple of different uh, IA locals to get in. So I knew uh -huh. that was out there. But I, my first tour was in 2012. So it's not all that long ago. Mm -hmm. and because I was a True. teacher and because oftentimes with the talkbacks, there's not a member of the crew, I would always try to get on those talkbacks that they do for schools that would come to see the show. So Yes, We're in uh, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, of all places, and this woman just could not get over the fact that oh, there's a woman electrician on the crew, and kept saying that. I'm like, okay, first of all, theatrical electrician is not the same as a journeyman electrician. I have a lot of that knowledge, but I could not pass that test. <laughs> w journeyman electrician, not even close. Um, I, but she just kept going on and on about it. But it goes back to that regional attitude. And it's, there's also an age part of it. I'm uh -huh. thrilled that the young women that I'm working with who are in their 20s and early 30s, they don't think twice about this because they've never had to. It's never been a problem. Um, the, the particular woman in Cleveland who kept going, or Cincinnati, Cleveland, who kept going on and on about it. Um, she was an older woman, older than me. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, you're probably, I don't know, a teacher. Maybe you've never seen a woman who does other things. I don't know. Um, but I ran into that, that same city where I had the, the sexual harassment stuff. One of the comments that was made to me earlier in the week, because I was talking with one of the guys and said, yeah, my husband uh, came through here a couple of years ago with a tour. He's like, you have a husband? Why aren't you home? Wait, you're not wearing a ring. Well, I don't wear a ring because I work as an electrician and my hands get stuck in places where I don't want jewelry to be. Or I would lose my entire finger. Yeah. yeah I, I've seen what a degloving looks like. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, his attitude was, well, you should be home and your husband should be out here taking care of you. And my attitude was my husband and I each take care of each other along with ourselves. And he got to be on the road for a decade. It's my turn to go see the country. Right. So it you run into those attitudes. And 
I look at them as being uneducated, but not necessarily ignorant. You know, they just haven't been exposed to this is the way things are in other parts of the world. One of the fabulous things about my life has been with my husband being on the road for so much and then me being on the road, my son has gotten to travel all over the U.S. and Canada. And yeah. so he's perfectly comfortable walking into a place where he's the ethnic minority, the racial minority, uh, where he doesn't speak the language, and he just blooms wherever he's at. Um, that was not intentional by any means, but it's a great part of raising a theater kid when mom and dad are on the road. It's one of the good byproducts. Yeah, we did have a pretty good... Uh, we traveled a lot as kids. And we usually, I mean, we stayed mostly in the United States until we got to college. But we, what were we in seventh grade? And for three weeks, we drove Highway 10 from one end to the other end, down Florida to the Keys, and drove back. So truck stops and the bayou and New Orleans and Dallas, and like we just did. And so we had that experience and so we eat different foods and we know different people and all that and then you meet some people who have like never left california and i'm like H how well <laughs> california is a big state at least <laughs> but some like when i got to college one of my friends who actually i'm working with now she'd never left um she grew up in watts and she'd never been out of like the three counties around her yeah and I was like, wow, I drive two counties, yeah. like right now between Long Beach and where our parents live, I have to pass three different counties. It's only 75 miles. It just seems yeah. weird. But yeah, it, some people are just a lot more stay in one place and sheltered and don't really know what's going on outside of their little hole. But like you said, it's not, it's not, what did you say? It's not um, prejudice. It's It's just ignorance. They're not aware. And I think the advantage that you're talking about that I think Stacy and I also experienced growing up is that you were not told that it was unusual, you know, like you were supported from the very beginning. And Stacy, I don't think was ever told that it wasn't okay. You know, like we did it in high school and our dad taught us how to build ever since we were a little kid and use power tools. And we got to college and her TD was like, this is what you want to do. Here's how to do it. You know, and it wasn't until she got out into the like real world where all of a sudden, you know, she started running into people not believing that she knew what she was doing, you know? And so yeah. it's this weird thing. Cause you're like, well, what do you, why now? Like I've, I've always been able to do this, you know, which I think in a sense is great because then you're not fighting during those primitive years when you're trying to learn, you know, yeah. once you know what you're doing, then you can go out and fight to prove yourself. But it would be, I think so much more horrible if you're in school and trying to learn and also fight for what you want to do. So I'm so glad that it's changing and hopefully changing everywhere. I but. And, there, and there's good things that are going on. Like there's an organization called sound girls. that's trying to get more young women interested in the audio world. Oh uh, yeah. I think so, I saw they uh, did a, they've done some live stuff for write-ups and stuff. Yeah. I've been very busy with Avixa and USITT. Both of them reach out a lot. Avixa's got a, a whole curriculum available that high schools can use for free. You just have to sign up to use it. So that's getting more of the basic knowledge, good scientific fact, basic knowledge into kids' hands, as opposed to let me plug this in together and see what happens. And the next thing you know, they're blowing circuit breakers at home. Right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much like, what I would it. do. <laughs> what is that? It's, it's, I know you did a webinar 
lately that I miss Vixen, Vixit. Avixa, A-V-I-X-A. A-V-I-X-A. Avixa is the International Association for People Who Are Involved in AV. But it's expanded. Ah, okay. It used to be called Infocom. And they their convention is still called Infocom. But because it's more than just AV now, it's a whole integrated and integrated entity. And the goal is for the people that are participating to have an experience. So it's the AV Integrated Experience Association of VIXA. <laughs> There's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. <laughs> I'm glad you spelled it because that was not the way I was going to spell it. So they are to the AV world like USITT is to the theater world. Okay. The convention ah, is a big gathering. It's a lot of the same vendors at both of them. Uh, it's a lot of tech geek kind of folks getting together and talking about the things that they love to do. There's presentations. There's performances. Um, you've got the best in the industry all under one roof for about a week. And it's it's fabulous. Um, I'm heartbroken. I was scheduled to train there, ironically, on rigging. Teaching the <laughs> rigging guy a couple of years ago. Um but the cancellation, the convention, of course, canceled just like the USITT convention canceled. Mm -hmm. but my, my big thing right now is to get USITT and AVIXA and the Educational Theater Association, which is the high school thespian society folks, mm -hmm. getting all of them talking. Because they're all working on a lot of the same things for the same goals and the same people. But up until about a year ago, they hadn't been conversing with one another. Now they're yeah. finally working together. And that's really exciting. That is awesome. Yeah, that is really wonderful because I've never heard of it. But like you said, if the vendors are all pretty much going to the same place, then why not all work together and have some kind of group session? Yeah. That's really cool. Not everybody doing the exact same thing. Like, I created this. Oh, I, I was working on creating that too. Hey, we were working on creating that. Okay, let's move yeah. on and do something bigger than everyone doing the same thing. <laughs> it's very true. So... I forgot because you have such a huge career. What, what is it that you're working on now? You're mostly, are you teaching right now? Or? No, she said she's um, been in AV for the last two and a half oh, years. Oh, right, AV for two years. Yeah. But I do teach as part of that. So I just finished being the vice president for my IATSE local where I was responsible for education for the chapter. Um, the AV job that I have, part of that is going out and training the end users how to use the equipment that we've just sold them. Mm -hmm. So it, it might be a high school theater that we've just gotten them all of the lighting, sound, video projection, all of the equipment that they need for that. And I'm going in and teaching absolutely everything, which I love when I get to do that. That's amazing. Um, we'll get called. It's Tuesday morning. I can't get my soundboard to work. Can somebody come and help me? The show starts on Thursday night. We've got tech rehearsal tonight. Um, I love Pretty those sure calls because I get to go back and work with kids. Been mm -hmm. those people. I don't know what to do. I just erased every cue I programmed. <laughs> yep. Um, so there's some of that. Uh, I do some one-on-one -on -one work. Um, I've got a curriculum where I go out and do day sessions because I'm an IA trained trainer. So an IA local can have me come in and teach about audio or I've, I've got sessions on um, audio, introductory lighting, how to run a lighting board. Um, I do some stage management, how to, because oftentimes IA folks don't have a stage manager, but they've still got to make a, a show happen. So how do you communicate with each other in headset to make that show low as best you possibly can? How um, interesting. What yeah. To do when it all hits the fan, which, you know, stage managers learn a lot about that, but IA 
generally doesn't. No, um, no, because they're waiting for the stage manager, or production manager, or somebody to be like, okay, this is what we do next. Yes. Yeah. But it might be that the person that you've got with the best set of eyes is the light board operator because he can see the stage yes. and he's on comms. Yep. So who's going to take the PowerPoint? You know, who's going to be the lead point for that per that uh, particular show in case there's an emergency? Uh, been doing a lot with the Event Safety Alliance now, uh, going through their training. Um, I've always had an interest in theater safety. So one of the things I did was I spoke to the Wisconsin School Safety Coordinators this past winter about school theater safety things that they should look for in their spaces. So I've been working with insurance companies, uh, going in and doing inspections and uh, helping the teachers to identify things that they can do, oftentimes free or low cost, to make their school theater safer. So yeah, I teach, but it's not formal classroom, go in and give tests and assignments and homework kind of teaching anymore. I find that to be the best, like, I learned way more in work study in college where I was actually building sets and running shows than I did sitting in a classroom on reading a book on how to do that. Like, the hands, yeah. theater's very hands-on and figuring it out. Yes. And because of that, it tends to attract people who are more kinesthetic, hands-on learners as opposed mm -hmm. to the, I'm going to sit back and just listen to it or read it from a book. Although there are some excellent books that are out there. What are some that you that you would recommend? I can pretty much tell you anything by Focal Press and their theater line is fabulous. Um, and I can say that because I'm in the midst of writing a book for them. Are you really? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's been an ongoing project. Um, when I was out on tour, I had one of those days that was horrible. And talking with a theater friend of mine who was not on that tour went, you know, what's the deal? We have all this knowledge, but nobody seems to share it. And he said, well, Christy, nobody's ever written that down. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. There really isn't a book that has all this. So I started writing it five years ago and I'm finally, thanks to the situation we're in now, is finally getting around to finishing it. So probably 2021, I think it'll finally get released. There's a, a significant lag time between here's the book to the publisher and when they can go through all the processes and release it to the general public. Mm -hmm. um, but it's part of their toolkit series. So they've already got the assistant lighting designers toolkit, the stage manager's toolkit, which is fabulous. Um, this one's called the Stagehands Toolkit. And it's more for IA people and high school crews. How do you how do you move a set? How do you figure out who's going to do what at what time? What are ways that you can let your crew know what they're doing? Uh, lots of safety information, some just general stage information. Um, the idea being that you could hand the book to somebody, they could read it, hopefully, and be able to walk in as an IA hand and be functional in all of the areas. Obviously not a master from one book, but mm -hmm. not embarrass themselves and not get themselves killed the first day on the job. Which is very useful. Yeah. Yeah, not being killed on the job or killing somebody else. Always helpful. The that is really cool because now that I think about it, I've, I mean, not that I've specifically looked, but yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anything on like how to be crew. Usually it's just designers. You, you, yeah. Somebody pulls you in and you do it. Yeah. I, it was a similar thing. We have another friend who we talked to a while ago, Danielle Rano, who is writing a book on opera stage management because there's tons of stage management books out there, but none of them talk about like the differences on opera and, and how to do opera. And so most of us, and it's not often taught in, taught in school. So most of us learn on the job of what all of these little like things are. And so she realized that that's a thing and in grad school decided to start writing it. And so uh, kind of like you, she was like, well, I'm in quarantine. So I guess I just 
work on that project. I can't do anything else right now. So I keep texting her randomly being like, are you working? Are you working? She was like, yeah, kind of. But yeah, it's one of those things that you're like, but it, this has been a, a career. This has been a thing for years and nobody's actually sat down and like put it to paper. And there are some of us, I love reading and I love, you know, even as a, I don't know, I'm a weird stage manager, but I love learning about the other professions and well. And reading to me is just so helpful to learn that stuff. Like I'm very hands-on as well, but I just love to like get it in my brain. And so having these books available, is just so amazing. That's, That's so awesome. References. I, I don't think I have any of the toolkit series, but I have, I have stage couple, management. I have a couple of like the handbooks and stuff. And sometimes when I need to be like, Oh, I know there's a calculation and an equation for this. Mm-hmm. And I know it's in this book. And so I've gone back and looked it up and been like, that's how I make an arc. Or that's how the, that's how you built the three-sided turning piece that you can build a set on all three sides. It's like, ugh, I remember looking at it, and now I can go back and actually get the equations, the drawings, the picture in my head. So yeah, that's that'd be great. The Backstage Handbook is awesome, and I, I hope they'll get it updated soon because there's so many things that need to be included in it that yes. aren't. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to see anything that's in it go away either. Yeah, maybe just Volume 2. Because, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it's the Backstage Handbook. And it's, years. Yes. I think it has the blue cover and very simple, yep. but very informative. And I think I've had it since, like, my TD in college had it. And I think I got yeah. it because he had it, and it was useful, and it's been on my bookshelf since then. Yeah, Paul Carver, the guy who wrote that and then did the update for it, passed away. And I've heard rumors that there's an update in the works, but I haven't seen anything uh, official yet. Good, let's put it out there. Everybody in quarantine, somebody work on this. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody under contract to do it. That's so cool. So my next question is, the crew that I work with with up in Binghamton, they're they're all starting to age out and they're having a hard time getting in younger people. You say with your local crew that you were doing educational events or you're on, what was it that you did? What, what were some of the, like, how do you get it out there? Because I started talking to my IA local about it, you know, I was like, we need to start doing classes or not advertising, you know, but maybe we go into local high schools or area high schools and just talk to them about it. Like we need to do something because in 20 years, we're not going to have an IA crew because you guys are all going to be dead by then. So what do we do? So <laughs> That's exactly what you do. Um, so in, in the midst of all of the other things I've done in my life, um, we have an organization in Wisconsin called the Alliance for Wisconsin Theater Education. And I joined it first in when I was pregnant many, many years ago when I started my master's program. In fact, that's how I learned about it. One of the guys in that master's class taught me that it was available. Uh, and they do a one-day in-person seminar for all of the theater teachers in the state of Wisconsin. Hmm. Well, Wisconsin does not actually have that many licensed theater teachers. Most of the theater is taught by a choir teacher who does a musical and maybe another uh, show. Uh-huh. Or maybe it's a... English professor or English teacher who does a single show, you know, they might do a Shakespeare or something like that. Um, but we've had this uh, AWTE now for, gosh, at least 30 years. And as part of that, I've made contacts with a lot of different high school folks. Through KCACTF and USITT, I've met a lot of college folks. So I have an online presentation that I do that I call Alphabet Soup. It goes through all of the different theater unions, the Cobug unions that work on Broadway. And I talk about, okay, this is what AFM is. This is why it exists. And this is what you have to do to join. This is what equity is. This is why it exists. And this is the three ways to join. 
Um, IA, how you join is all over the map because each IA local has their own qualifications. Some mm -hmm. you show up and you work and if they like you, you're voted in. Some you pay a lot of money and you do a formal apprenticeship. Uh, my local's kind of in the middle. We ask for a hundred hours and then we review how well you've been working. Um, we offer apprenticeships and then you go through that program. So it all depends upon what it is that you need. But yeah, getting the word out to the next generation is really important. And that's why when I started this AV job two years ago, I jumped feet first into everything I can with Avixa because, like I said, their foundation has outreach to high school kids and college kids. Um, and because I've got the teaching background, I'm perfectly comfortable walking into any classroom anywhere and saying, hi, boys and girls, today we're going to do this. Let mm -hmm. me tell you about making a career on the road. Let me show you some cool pictures from backstage. Uh, let me tell you about the musicians that you know and love and how sometimes they're not as sweet as you'd like them to be. <laughs> so, it, yeah. Um, and also the IA has a thing called the Training Trust. So IA members can be nominated by their IA local to go and become an IA trainer. And they teach you how to teach technical theater skills. Because as you just said, it's not open the book and turn to page 47 and hope you learn it all. You mm -hmm. learn best when you do things hands-on. So they go through how you do mini lessons. And then we do lessons for one another, which was great. Cause when I took it, I was with a bunch of film folks down in Chicago. So I learned a ton about the film industry that day. Um, but then that makes you an IA trained trainer. So the training trust will reimburse an IA local if they sponsor me to come in and do training for them. I've got oh, a whole cool. bunch of different things that I do training on and any IA local can bring me in. Um, our local last year, we brought Bill Sapsis in to do training on uh, theatrical rigging. Um, and he also has fall rest because he sells Pro Plus harnesses, which are fantastic. I love that my technician harness. Um, so there are people that you can bring in and then the training trust will reimburse the IA local for providing that training to their members. And it's any kind of skill that you need to be successful in your craft. So I've seen them for how to style a wig, how to do quick changes, how to run a spotlight. Um, oh, wow. That's a rigging because we have significant accidents that have happened in there but electrical um they also provide reimbursement like i just finished my ultra 30 well i will today later today um so they'll reimburse me for the cost of that um aed cpr um that's some of the benefit of being a ia represented workers i get to avail myself of all of the training that's available from the training trust and then as a teacher i help share my knowledge too i kind of feel like i need to i need to switch paths right now because this just sounds so cool because this is like some of the stuff that I love is being able to learn it myself and then teach others about it. I think, which is why I do SMA right now is like, great, this is what I do. Can I please help somebody else do it too? Can I please, you know, get everybody together? It just sounds so, it sounds so fun. It sounds like you don't have to work, you know, you're just having fun. You're like, what do I get to learn today? I, I love my jobs. I love my life. If, if somebody asked me, you know, would you do the same thing over again? Yes, I would do it like over again, but I would do it smarter. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've learned. My, <laughs> I had a high school choir teacher who told me, Christy, you can't make a living working backstage. And I've spent mm -hmm. my life proving her wrong. Not yes. intentionally, but it's just, I kept saying yes, and I keep loving it, and I keep doing it. That's one of the that reasons is... I wanted to start the podcast, <clears throat> because I was like, oh, let's, I want to listen to a theater podcast. And I was like, oh, good, actors in Broadway. 
there's so much more than that. So we try to get a variety of people being like, look, you can make a living at this male, female, middle of the country, uh, big city, little city, anything, and not just on stage. Like there's a whole world out there that a lot of people don't pay attention to. And we all love our jobs so much. And that's another thing is, you know, especially IATSE crews, they get this reputation for being like grumpy people. And I'm like, they're not really like, there's very, very few truly grumpy people. Usually once you get to know them, there's just like a grumpy exterior and they're really hilarious and sarcastic and a lot of fun. You know, like every one of them I've met loves their job. Every one of them is there because they want to be there and they want to make the show amazing and they want to be helpful. Like, they're not there to ruin your show. They're not there to be miserable, you know? Like, I've, there's some of the most enthusiastic people I've met. Sometimes you got to prod them a little bit to, like, get them to do what you want them to do, you know? But they're there because they want to be there and they love it. And that's what so many of us do. We're, we're there because we love it. And talking to non-theater people, they're always like, I've never met anybody who loved their job as much. And I was like, well, we do it because we love it. You know, we're or not work so many hours and so many days straight. And yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't we volunteer do. to do it. This wouldn't be our career if we didn't love it so much. So. Well, and, and smart stage managers, and I'm really lucky that I learned this early on. Smart stage managers will ask a crew that's been in a building. So like if I walk into a new facility, I've never been there before. I look at the IA crew guys and go, all right, what do I need to know? And they will happily inform me about everything that I need in order to make that show as good as I possibly can make it. They know the so, yeah. And that goes back to the manager doesn't get to dictate. So when I work with the high school kids and the college kids, I'm like, I'm going to be a stage manager. I'm going to be in management. I'm like, that's not really how this is working out. <laughs> You're not going to get very far if that's what you think is going to happen. But... Yeah. <laughs> I bring in like donuts or bagels and coffee and candy. I don't do it to like, and candy to bribe them. But really it's like, okay, you guys got up at like, who knows what hour to get in here to load in a show at eight o'clock in the morning. And I know you're going to be with me until 11 o'clock tonight. The, the least I can do is bring you some donuts. So, but now this crew that I know so well, I'll get text messages and be like, you know, we really like the chocolate donuts. And I'm like, okay, you guys are getting picky now. <laughs> But it's because we, I now have that relationship with them, you know, and, and it's just this like collaborative, fun relationship. And it, you know, these guys, everyone's like, oh, they're so hard to work with. And I was like, no, they're not. They're, they're, the they're wonderful. I love them. A part of it, too, is working as a stagehand is heavy manual labor oftentimes, especially yes. load in and load out. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to do that kind of energy intensive work, you need to be well fed and well hydrated to do it well. Or you're mm -hmm. going to get grumpy because your blood sugar's tanked. Mm -hmm. so if you know that going in the door, you know, have that bag of M&Ms along with you that you can throw a few at somebody who's getting kind of ornery. Um, <laughs> I literally just pictured throwing M&Ms now at some of my crew. And I'm like, yeah, I think that would work out really, really well if I just hit them hard enough. <laughs> Not literally. <laughs> But yeah, I, whenever we're loading a trunk, especially like in the summertime or something, I'll like disappear for a second and come back with a bag of um, water and be like, okay, who hasn't had water for a while? Because I don't need yeah. any of you passing out from heat exhaustion or heat stroke or dehydration. And it's like, here, stop for a second, drink some water. Okay, go back to loading the really hot truck full of a heavy set. Yeah. <laughs> or sunscreen. Who hasn't put sunscreen on? Because I don't want to hear any of you guys getting sunburnt. Like it's sitting right here. <laughs> yep. all things like that but it goes a long ways 
Even things like allowing enough time for somebody to wash their hands before the dinner break gets called. Some of the locals actually had to put that in their contract. Oh, like a five minute or 10 minute wash up? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If somebody says, you know, make it safe, we're getting close, wash up, Mm -hmm. and then gives you the time, come back, add five minutes onto whatever that is, so everybody gets a chance to actually wash their hands. That also helps with hygiene and people not getting sick. That might work right now. That long. You know, imagine that. Weird ideas. Some of that I do think comes from, well, the opposite comes from management, um, at least in my experience, is production managers and and general managers and stuff that don't know crews very well. They're like, well, the contract says we go until X amount of time and they want to work up until that X amount of time, not thinking about the 10 minutes of wash up and stuff. And so this company that I was at for a while, when I started, I like made sure that was worked into the schedule. And, you know, like this is when we stop. And after my first season, no, even after my first show, the house manager, or not house manager, the person in charge of the, the house and the theater. And then like a lot of the crew, they're like, this is the first time that we haven't gone into overtime. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, every show we've done in 10 years goes into overtime. And I was like, why? And they started telling me all these like little things. And it's because the general manager didn't know, you know, and nobody stopped them because they're going to get paid for that overtime. But they were like, we really appreciate this. And I was like, but why? I don't understand. (laughs) And it's, again, it's it's the education part, you know, like I think that general manager wouldn't have done it if he knew about it or if, you know, like somebody had told him or if he'd even had asked like why am I getting charged all this overtime but they just all kind of like went with it and kept going and and it was I was very confused by it but I was like well I'm glad I'm making you guys happy and they, on both sides you're not they're paying less overtime and the crew actually gets to like wash their hands and have a decent break yeah yeah it's really awesome so why why are you, I mean, this sounds like a weird question. Why are you a director of large at the Sage Managers Association? Um, I was asked to run. I, I was, okay, here's here's the story. Um, part of the things that I do is I manage several Facebook groups. I moderate several Facebook groups. And um, I got into a rather heated debate with uh, a spouse of somebody else who's on the board and that person said, if she can speak truth to power like that and won't back down, she should be on the board. <laughs> I like that. Dude, you stood up to my husband. Can you, can you join so that we can like get <laughs> together on this so that he understands? That's excellent. This is a good story. I like it. <laughs> so- and it's turned out to be wonderful because I don't get to spend as much of my life doing stage management kinds of things. So it gives me a chance to scratch that itch. Um, and because the the kinds of things that I've done are not necessarily traditional stage management. Mm-hmm. Many of the things that I've managed before I got my equity card were uh, school things and industrials and expos and mm-hmm. uh, beauty pageants and uh, fashion shows and all of that kind of stuff where most of the people on the board, their tradition is more, their background is more of the traditional uh, Lort um, regional theater, TYA theater um, where I've got those other oddball things. And I, I also have the onus, I guess Um, like we just got together at, in New York in January, the board of the stage managers association to talk about some long range planning things. Um, and so 
as those discussions are happening, I'm also able to say, well, the IA is going to think this because I work so mm-hmm. much with all of the different IA locals now. One of the groups that I moderate is for IATSE members and affiliated folks. So like their spouses, their kids, um, there's even some producers in there and people are supply companies in that. So there's over 20,000 IA members. So I've got a fairly good handle on what's going on with the IA coast to coast um, both on the film side and now on the, the stage side too. So I can say, well, I think this is what's going to happen. And I'm fairly confident that that is the case. Uh, one of the issues we're running into, and in fact, we had, I was working with a bunch of IA folks last night online and we were talking about this, is that stage managers, because they want to stage manage, they want to get that job, will say, yeah, I'll run the light board for an extra 20 bucks a week. Yep. And you're taking away somebody else's job when you do that. Yep. So I think that's, one of the reasons I was encouraged to run for the association board is because I bring that knowledge base with me. Um, and I'm going to USITT anyway, might as well be there and keep cheerleading. So yeah. <laughs> that's how I got involved with that. And I've been an SMA member off and on. Um, that was one of the things that David Stewart first put in my hand was you want to join this if you're going to be a stage manager because of the contacts and because of the job opportunities and the, um, ability to shadow and learn from other SMs. Mm-hmm. Now that's what I really, really appreciated because I guess you only kind of get to know somebody so much in our, you know, monthly board meetings, especially when we do it on Zoom. And then to have that retreat in January was just so wonderful because it was that like 20 minutes before we actually started talking about our lives or, you know, we're on our 15 minute break, you know, and, and we're talking about who we are as people and like what we did. And so to learn that you were an IOTC member and that you had all the other experience. And then what I loved is that you just kept bringing that up in stage management meetings or being like, well, you know, like you just said, this is why this should happen, or this is why we should fight to not have stage managers run boards besides a million other reasons why stage managers shouldn't run boards. But you just had this whole other perspective and coming from an opera background, I kept thinking I kept trying to do that as well being like okay you guys are all thinking about theater but in opera we do this and then to have you there and be like yeah and from an IOT perspective you know like so how can we marry all of these together and it'll make the SMA stronger because now we're like working with all these different people you know and it's not narrow-minded is not the right word you know but it's it opens people's eyes yeah um and I a good part of that also I I stage managed I ASM'd exactly one opera (laughs) <laughs> and that's the hardest part is ASMing on these things. Well, you would think that with my background, you know, because when I studied voice at the conservatory, it was classical <clears throat> music, so I'm perfectly fluent mm, in, in mm-hmm. all that. Um, I should re- rephrase that. I stage managed two operas. I'll tell about the other story, but the, the one that I was <laughs> ASMing, um, I hated it. I, I I just despised it. And I worked with this fabulous stage manager. She travels all over and, and does it. And I, I bow down to her greater knowledge and expertise because I could not do that. So when I hear somebody who says, I just opera, I just stage manage for opera, I mostly stage manage for opera, I think, oh, you are awesome because <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> what was it? Was it the like constant singing in your head or was it just the oh, way that they run? Oh, boy. Or everything. Or was it the uh, opera? Because Cindy does some weird opera. <laughs> well, this, is, this is a weird opera and the, the director... So the director was one of, okay, this gets to another, another thing that boils my whatever. Um, the director was somebody who came in from New York and made mm-hmm. sure that everybody in the room knew that he came in from New York. Mm-hmm. And he was very snobbish about it all. And I'm not that way at all. 
I am no better than any other person in the room. I am no worse than any other person in the room. We're all here to make the show as best as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I didn't like that attitude. Um, and the people that I worked with, the performers were all fabulous. Um, the SM that I was running it, I'm still good friends with her. And truthfully, if she called me up and said, hey, Christy, I need somebody to come in and do a show for a weekend, I'd come down and work with her because I think she's fabulous. But to do that as a full-time job, just doesn't make me happy. I, I would rather have my sweaty chorus boys tap dancing their hearts out than <laughs> Bel Canto singing an aria. <laughs> At least you know what Bel Canto is. Yeah, and an aria. Most people don't want to listen to those anyways. I, I'm like, oh, get to, the part where I started where, <laughs> get to the part where somebody dies. That's All way more 24 Italian hits. <laughs> There's twins like, ooh, did you find this musical instrument? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Well, the Orbo. Then, Usually I said the Orbo that I'm excited about. The other opera that I got to stage manage, I was on the IA crew and hey. it was our local orchestra brought in a gentleman with our semi-professional choir that's here to do uh, Carmen. <laughs> and I realized at rehearsal, they didn't have anybody to call the show. And we looked at each other and I went, well, I can at least read French and I know the music. So sure, I'll do it. Um, sat down with the director the next day. We talked through the cues. I called it in rehearsal on Friday night and called the show on Saturday. And that was it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of trial by fire. <laughs> that is. Yeah. How did they but, get I mean, to the rehearsal process and not realize they didn't have, like, a stage manager seems kind of important to me. How did they get that far without having one? They had the choir rehearse with the choir director. The orchestra only does their rehearses, their rehearsals really that week. So they all rehearse individually and then they get together because they're all fabulous musicians. Um, and so the the big guy that they brought in to put all this together apparently overlooked it, or maybe he thought that somebody local was going to do it, or maybe just assumed that there was a stage manager for the orchestra who would actually stage manage. Uh, mm-hmm. The guy who stage manages for the orchestra, who takes care of the setup and all of that, is one of the bass players, and he's playing out on he's... stage. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little preoccupied at the time, though. It would be interesting to have the bass player just hit go every now and then because there's long passages. He's not doing anything. So, uh, twin, you're I... taking away a stage manager job. We just <laughs> talked about that. No, yeah, but I think it'd be funny to have Peter. <laughs> Do like cues. <laughs> yeah, okay, tell Peter that. He'll write up a list of what he requires. Yeah, he will. <laughs> it would be funny. You take the, the bass bow and hit go, kind of like that. Yeah, exactly. Or you know how like they have um musicians now have the pedals to turn the pages on their iPad. You just have like right. one pedal for page turn and one pedal for lights, and you just hope you hit the right pedal at the right time. <laughs> that, I don't see that going wrong at all. That sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah. This, it's almost as good as my idea that they used to, back in Belcanto time when it was, I forget, what is that, 1800s or whatever, um, they couldn't all see the conductor or the maestro. So I guess it was not specifically Belcanto. Anyways, there's this one passage in a book that said that he would have like a something attached to his fingers and that he would keep the beat with his fingers. So those people who couldn't see him could like hear the beat so that they could keep on or whatever. But I wanted to change it so that it was like a little electrocution shock or whatever. So that like, if Maestro wanted to, he could just like shock the people by moving his fingers. <laughs> Peter didn't like that idea either. I don't know why, Jakob and I thought it was a great idea. <laughs> Jakob wasn't getting electrocuted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fun times, but 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Christy, you're such an awesome person to talk to. You have so many cool stories and so much experience. And next time I go up to Binghamton, I want to be like, guys, we're starting a training thing. And I already have people you can bring in. Here you go. <laughs> I would love to go there. It's, it's a, nice a cool I like it up there. It's a nice little town. And yeah, I, I don't know how many guys they actually have in their local because I only ever work really at like one theater. So I know the like 15 guys that are there. Um, but yeah, it's it's not very big. And we keep, when I was there full time, we kept having, we were just starting to talk about creating a program to do that. And then I left, you know, and, and there was nobody who really took the reins on it. But I have all this ample time right now. Maybe I should put together a program for them. And we have the internet, so let's make it happen. Yeah, exactly. They could all just do it online and then they'll stop complaining to me about how they're bored and I could just give them stuff to do right now. It would be pretty cool. Especially if they're... Them all of your uh, seminars. I mean, it's pretty easy. I Google searched you and like 500 articles have popped up, so <laughs> it makes it very convenient. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so Zaytie said, told me we're at an hour. So our last question, and I did warn you this time because I forgot to warn Leslie. Do you have any <laughs> twin stories? I do. I have Yay! twins. And the last teaching job before the one that I left, I had two sets of twins that we had on the show together. But wow. they were not identical twins. Identical twins, I have a hard time telling them apart. <laughs> yeah. I get them side by side. And I hope that there's some speech difference or some vocal difference that I might be able to glab onto. But oftentimes for me, the, the key is looking in their eyes. There'll be just something a little teensy bit different about the eyes that I'll be able to go, okay, this one's this and this one's that. But Interesting. I love working with twins and I'm really glad that you invited me to be on. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stare at twins' eyes and see if I see anything. Well, next you're time not, you're just going to see really yourself. Work. Yeah. <laughs> Not very helpful. Not helpful at all. No. Thank you so much, Chrissy. This was so much fun. And I'm in such a better mood now than I was earlier when I was just like, why can I not work? And then my husband had to console me because I was like, I just want to work. Why so, you set up so many podcast interviews these next two days? I know because I want to work. I want to do something. I want to talk to theater people. I feel like I'm stuck right now. So this makes me feel a lot better. The good thing about the internet is we get to talk to theater people. And I'm so honored that you asked to have me on. And thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. Aw, thanks. And I'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Sounds good. Another, the next SMA meeting thing. and the next whatever meeting. <laughs> Lots of SMA yeah. meetings, yeah. <laughs> Bye. Thank right. you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.